But uh, let's get to the Word of God uh, this morning. James chapter 3. A few weeks back, uh, again, in our study in the book of James, we looked at wisdom from from below. Uh, Wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And we saw that where there's envy, self-seeking, where there's boasting and lying against the truth, that it's the fruit of wisdom that's earthly, sensual, and demonic. We'll talk a little bit more about that this morning as we get into this. We'll recap that in a little bit more detail. But we saw that uh, wisdom from a blow, it, it, it produces confusion. Um, and, and really that word confusion means instability because it's not wisdom that's built on the rock of Jesus Christ. So it produces confusion, instability. And we saw there James saying that uh, every evil thing is there. It just produces sin. It produces those things that are opposite to the Lord. And that is not to our blessing, but that is to our destruction. It's not to the glory of God, but it comes against, again, the person of the Lord and the kingdom of God. Well, this morning, we're going to look at wisdom from above. We're going to look at godly wisdom. First of all, we're going to see that it comes from the person of Jesus Christ. It comes from the word of God. We're going to look at some attributes that James gives us of wisdom from above. And as we look at these attributes, it'll be kind of twofold. As we look at these attributes, there's great exhortations in that. And listen, we might have some light shine on some areas in our life that we need to tend to. Um, But we're also going to look at the benefit of wisdom from above and what, again, wisdom from above it looks like. And then we're going to look at practically, biblically, how to get more wisdom from above or wisdom from God in our lives. Because there's some practical things that we can do to absolutely see that more manifest in us through the working of the Holy Spirit of God. And then we'll close with talking about, uh, you know what, sowing righteousness and how to do that we need to, again, walk according to wisdom from above. And we'll talk about the effect of that to our children and our culture and so forth. And I think we'll bring this around full circle as we close here with verse 18. So let's read the text together. A little bit of where we've been, where we're going. Let's read it and then we'll dive into this here. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And again, James is talking about wisdom from, a, from below, wisdom that's earthly, sensual, and demonic. And now he's contrasting that with wisdom that is from above. And he's just wisdom from above. He's not just talking about, you know, wisdom and heaven or, you know, he's not talking about wisdom of those that are, you know, a, a little above everyone else, you know, the, the smart folks and so forth. He's not talking about that. When he talks about wisdom from above, he's talking about wisdom from the Lord, wisdom from God Almighty, wisdom that comes from the throne of God where the Lord is seated in the heavenlies. And biblically, as again, we use Scripture to compare Scripture. We don't isolate Scripture. We don't isolate this Scripture and say, wisdom from above, let's decide what's being talked about there. We look at Scripture itself to find out wisdom from above, what's that being referred to. And specifically, we see wisdom from above is first found in the person of Jesus Christ, and then it's found from the Word of God. And really, you can't separate one from the other. Not that we worship the Word of God, it's not that the Word of God is God, but the Word of God reveals the God of the Word. And we see again the person of Jesus Christ. Perfect wisdom. In Colossians 2, 3, it's speaking of Jesus Christ, and it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom 
and knowledge. Notice here, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And indeed, wisdom is a treasure. And we'll talk more about that in our study this morning. Wisdom from God is more valuable than gold, silver, precious stones, and so forth. And listen, if there was somewhere that they were giving away free gold every day, you would be wise to actually stand in line and get that gold. But would you not line up if there was a free gold stand and you could go get that gold? Now, hopefully we'd use that gold for the glory of God and it won't become, you know what, a love of money, the root of all sorts of evil and so forth. But I would think practically if there was a stand giving away gold, we would go again in that line. Well, listen, wisdom is more valuable than gold. Wisdom from above absolutely is. And I just pray we could get that truth into our hearts because we're talking about something here that is so grand that is so good, that brings glory to God, that brings substance to our life, and absolutely heaps up eternal reward. So we don't want to sleep on this, especially if we were up at midnight last night banging pots and pans and so forth. We want to glean from the Word of God and learn about this wisdom that indeed is a treasure. And we see again, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is why it's so important, listen, in our Bible study and so forth, And hopefully it's a thing where we are daily in the Word of God. I would really encourage you in your study of the Word of God to always be, you know what, going back to the Gospels in the course of reading through the totality of Scripture. And again, we see the person of Jesus from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But the Gospels in particular, listen, they they talk about Jesus' ministry here on earth. And again, all of the Word, we see Jesus in it. But it's just so awesome. When you look at the person of Jesus Christ and his ministry on earth, listen, everything that he did was done in the perfect wisdom of God. He absolutely is the perfect role model, is he not? I mean, Paul said, imitate me, but he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because Paul had his own struggles. Paul had his own issues. And if we just want to imitate other individuals, other people, listen, we're not going to see the perfect wisdom of God. And absolutely, we're going to fail one another because we're all sinners that need the grace of God every single day. Amen. But the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, Jesus who was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. And all his interactions with individuals, his whole time on earth, he absolutely did the perfect will of the Father. We see wisdom in everything that he did. When we were talking about this earlier in our study in James, in James chapter 1, where it talks about if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you because he'll give it liberally and without reproach, but ask in faith. We just, we're talking about that wisdom and considering, again, the person of Jesus. And we talked about there in Passion Week when the Lord was going to the cross, these Pharisees and Sadducees that were so envious of the Lord. And remember that envy, it's associated with wisdom that's earthly, sensual, and demonic. They wanted to take Jesus out. And Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, salvation by grace through faith in him. These individuals were preaching legalism. Come do A, B, C, and D, be like us, and you'll be right with God. And they hated the fact that Jesus did not acknowledge him. And remember, so they brought a coin to him, thinking we're going to entrap him with this coin. We're going to ask him, or actually they didn't bring the coin, but they brought a question to him saying, is it lawful to pay taxes? And they knew if Jesus said, yes, pay your taxes, they could get the Jews who were under Roman occupation to come against Jesus. And they knew if he said, don't pay your taxes, they would get the Romans who the Jews were under their occupation to come against Jesus. So they said, we got him. And they came and they asked him. And remember what the Lord did? He said, hey, does anyone got a coin? 
and they brought a coin, and he says, whose inscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, then pay unto Caesar what Caesar's, and give unto God what is God's. And they were silenced. And absolutely, it was the perfect answer, the perfect biblical answer that cut through the wisdom of man who thought they would even be able to entrap God Almighty. And listen, in every instance, in every circumstance that Jesus walked in, and indeed Jesus, when he walked on earth, there was opposition to what he did. And he was dealing with fleshly men who he came to die for, but in everything he did, he did it with the perfect wisdom from above. And this is why we want to draw near to him. We want to learn from him. We want to glean from him. We actually want to get know, to know more about him, and we want to get to know him more. Because have you not found out who you associate with is oftentimes who you act like and who you reflect? Is not the Bible true when it says bad company corrupts good morals? I think about Jesus there in John chapter 8. There was a woman that these religious folks had caught in the act of adultery. And they got her and they dragged her to the Lord. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was associating with sinners and tax collectors and wine bibbers. Now listen, he wasn't associating with them, partying, partying with them, but he was associating with them, telling them, listen, repent and put your faith, faith in me and you'll be saved because the religious folks weren't bringing that message. They were bringing, again, a self deifying message of be like us and then you'll be right with God. And they weren't using the law to show men they were saved, sinners to point them to the Savior. They were trying to use the law as a point of salvation and the law can't save you. The law is the tutor to point us to the fact we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. So they caught this woman and they dragged her to the Lord and they said, listen, the law of Moses says this woman should be stoned. She should be killed because she was in the act of adultery. It's curious though why the dude wasn't brought. You know, just the woman was brought to Jesus. And we read there that Jesus, he stooped down and he began to write in the dirt. He began to write in the sand there. And we don't know exactly what he wrote. Some commentators believe that he began to write out the sins of the individuals there from, again, the oldest to the youngest. I lean more to, he just began to write out the law of God there. Because that's the, the point they came with. She, she broke the law of Moses. So I, I believe he got down. Again, I'm not going to be dogmatic. I, the Bible doesn't say what he wrote there. But again, the law shows us that we are sinners. I believe he began to write down the law of God there in the sand. And it says, one after another, from the oldest to the youngest, they all departed. What great wisdom in that. The Lord using the law in the right manner. But then, look at it. It doesn't stop there. In John 18, it says, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. And this is where oftentimes, listen, the liberal mindset of the day stops right there. See, Jesus didn't condemn her, so she's all good. Go commit adultery and do what you want. No, he says, neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He didn't have to condemn her. Why? She was already condemned. The law condemned her. The law condemned all those Pharisees and Sadducees. They were all condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Why? We're already condemned. But he came to save the world. He came to make that way of salvation. So what does he do? 
He doesn't heap more condemnation on her. She's already condemned. She sees that she's condemned. She's been made a public spectacle, not only by them, but by the law of Moses. She was guilty. No time did you say she wasn't guilty. But then the Lord doesn't stop there, and he says, go and sin no more. And then he says, I am the light of the world. Follow after me. What incredible wisdom. Boy, I want to walk in this, don't you? Listen, he, he, he doesn't, um, you know what, come against the holiness of God. He's not making provision for sin here, but he's making provision for the forgiveness of sin, and then he's pointing her to how to walk free from sin and following after him. And every page you look at where Jesus is, you know what, referred to and talked about, again, Old New Testament, throughout his life, we see the perfect wisdom of God. We want to glean from that. We want to get to know him, and we want to get to know more about him, amen? Wisdom is found in the person of Jesus Christ, Colossians 2, 3. And then wisdom from above, perfect wisdom from above is found in the Word of God. And again, you can't separate Jesus from the Word of God. Again, we don't worship the Word of God, but the Word of God shows us the God of the Word. Listen to Deuteronomy 4, 6, and in context here, it's talking about God's statutes. And when it refers to God's statutes, it's referring to, referring to the Word of God. It says, therefore, be careful to observe them Notice what it says, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this is a great nation. Surely this great nation is wise and an understanding people. She said, your wisdom is found in not a few of the statutes, not a salad bar approach to the statutes. I'll pick this statute and that statute, but I don't want this other statute. But it's found in the totality of the statutes and the fullness of the Word of God. This is why we're warned in the Word of God not to add to the Word or take away from it. In a minute here, we're going to see that the first attribute of wisdom from above, it it is pure. It's not diluted. It's not added to. And so in the fullness of the Word of God, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, we don't isolate Scripture. We find the wisdom of God in the Scriptures. And as you open the word of God, listen, we find God's eternal plan for us. We find spiritual wisdom. We find how to bear fruits of the Holy Spirit. And then, listen, God's word is just chock full of practical wisdom. Don't we need more of that as well? I mean, how many times a week do we do stuff and we're like, man, I, I probably shouldn't have done that like that. At least, at least I hope we can, you know what, honestly analyze our lives. I think if we were that all of us would say at times, listen, I, I should have done that better. And God's word, again, is full of all those levels of wisdom. I thought about the book of Proverbs and considering this because Proverbs, again, is, it's just chock full of that spiritual, eternal, and practical wisdom. I know people who've gotten born again through reading the book of Proverbs. People who heard the gospel, you know what, they, they heard they were sinners, they heard that Jesus had died on the cross for their sins to redeem them. He had resurrected from the grave. And if they repented and put their trust in him, if they turned from whatever they were following to put their faith in Jesus to be the Lord, they were be saved. And they were considering Christ in the course of that, they began to read the Proverbs. As they began to read Proverbs, they began to saw, this has to be God-breathed because this is chock full of so much wisdom and if you've been a saint for any amount of time and you're familiar with the proverbs have you not found that the more you walk with them 
the more you see the incredible wisdom of the Proverbs. How you see things played out, maybe in your life over 5, 10, 20, 30 years. How you see things played out. You know what, in culture and individuals' lives and so forth. And it makes me step back and marvel at the wisdom of Scripture. And so even preparing for the Bible study, I said, okay, I'm going to open up the Proverbs and I'm going to do one of these. And I want to read three verses out of a chapter of Proverbs. Just look at the wisdom found there. Proverbs 17, verse 18, 19, and 20. A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friends. There's great wisdom in that. He doesn't say here, don't help out your friend. The Bible, in fact, says if you loan money, don't expect to get it back. Don't parade and puff up and act like someone owes me something if I loan them money. The Bible says if you loan them, then listen, if you get it back, great, and if you don't, that's okay. You loan it unto the Lord. When you start making it an issue, you get your reward. But to go and again, to become surety for somebody, now you become indebted to the person they're indebted to, and the Bible says who we're indebted to, we're a slave to, and the scripture says we should only be a slave unto the Lord. And listen, there's a lot of real wisdom found in there. Because I have made the error myself of, again, co-signing, and oftentimes someone that needs to be co-signed for, there's a reason for that. (laughs) Is there not? Now, this again, it's not saying you shouldn't help somebody. We look at things in the full context. But there's great wisdom found there. And you may have a mindset this morning, well, that's not very nice. Well, listen, you go co-sign for that person and they quit making their payments, you're going to go, oh, yeah, 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 that proverb. Verse 19, he who loves transgressions loves strife. He who exalts his gate seeks destruction. And again, You want to walk in sin? You want to love sin? The wages of sin is death. Sin destroys, sin takes away. And again, you want to walk in pride? Pride goes before the fall. Have we not all figured that out yet? And then notice verse 20. He who who has a deceitful heart finds no good, and he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. A deceitful heart is a picture of walking in hypocrisy. Listen, eventually that mask is going to come off and you're going to be seen, who, seen for who you really are and a perverse tongue. I mean, you want to go and maybe in your business dealings lie and cheat and so forth, that eventually will catch up with you. The chickens eventually come home to roost. Three verses there. Listen, that, 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 those are all true, 100% true. So again, wisdom from above is found in the person of Jesus Christ is found in the word of God. And listen, we have a great, great need for godly wisdom from wisdom from above in our world. Listen, when man fell in the garden, man got stupid really, really quickly. Again, God said, eat of any of the tree of the garden, you'll be good. The day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. And the serpent said, you won't die, you'll be like God. And man said, listen, I'll be my own God. Up yours, God. I'm going to go eat of this tree. I'll be my own God. Listen, that's bad. That's, that's bad counsel that the serpent gave to Adam and Eve. And listen, God already given them wise counsel. Don't do that. They should have refuted that. But man pulled away from the giver of wisdom. He said, I'll figure things out myself. And listen, we've been on a downgrade ever since that time, and the evidence of it is all around us. Not long ago, um, I was talking to someone about YouTube, and they, they, you know, there's some pretty interesting stuff on there. And they said, hey, 
there's videos on there of these guys, and it's it's called uh, it's, they use they use a a bicycle as a bait to try to get thieves to take the bicycle. And they they take a rope and they tie it to the bicycle and they tie it to a tree and they put it going downhill. And listen. That might sound cruel, but if you've ever had a bicycle stolen from you, there's part of you that just wants to see justice brought forth, right? Listen, I grew up in Gilroy, California, and I don't know what you know about Gilroy, but I can tell you this, if it's not locked up or if it's not hidden, it will be stolen within five minutes. I don't care where you are at. I move down here, I leave my door unlocked. Like, are you insane? Listen, we had three pit bulls, and they were there to guard the house. Everything would be gone. And so upon hearing that, I thought, ah, that sounds interesting. So I went and I looked it up. And indeed, these guys took these bikes out. They're hiding in the bushes. And these guys would come along and looking around and so forth. And again, it's foolishness. You're lying against the truth. God says, thou shalt not steal. So these guys jump on the bike and they think they're getting away with it. And they start down this hill and they get about 40, 50 feet. And boy, you just talk about the somersaults and so forth. And you look at that and you say, well, look at, again, the lack of wisdom. This guy stole the bike, and the chicken came home to Bruce really, really fast in this case. But the more I watched this, I realized, listen, someone could get seriously hurt. In fact, some of those dudes, I mean, they rolled, and usually they'd get up and stumble, and they go running off. But I think, man, you could get seriously concussed or break a leg or whatever. And I'm thinking, man, I think today the way that the court system is, if that individual got hurt and you're posting it on YouTube with a million watches, you could very easily be liable for their injuries. I don't think there's wisdom in doing this. And then it was about that time I looked at my watch and I realized I wasted an hour of my life watching this that I will never get back. A lack of wisdom. YouTube, again, it's evidence, it's prophecy, knowledge will increase. Daniel said in Daniel 20, or chapter 12, verse 4, in the last days, knowledge would increase. I mean, listen, a kid in Africa with a smartphone has more access to information than the president of the United States did maybe 20 years ago. Knowledge is increasing, 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 but wisdom, boy, it's at an all-time low. And again, I'll read it to you, James 3, 14, we looked at this few weeks back, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, you not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not sin from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing there. Earthly is from this fallen world. It's man saying, listen, I don't need you, God. I'll be my own God. It's sensual. It's of the flesh. Sensual wisdom is, listen, I'll be led by my five senses which are connected to our hearts. And we say, if my five senses want it, then it must be okay. That means it's good. Is that not our culture today? Let's throw out all truth. Let's throw out, you know, things that practically we know to be true. And let's go by our five senses. The Bible says, again, those that reject him, they're like brute beast. The dog has no shame in what he does. He's like, if you like doing this, I'm going to do it. You're like, you know what? Look what this dog's doing in public, and no one even, you know what? He doesn't care. And we got a culture more and more being led by its five senses. We're not animals, though. We're created in the image and likeness of God. Your dog wasn't. He has an excuse for what he does. 
And then again, demonic. And did not the devil fall in the beginning wanting to be God, wanting to overthrow God? Envy, self-seeking, boasting, lying against the truth. These things abound all around us and are trying to influence us at every single turn. In this world with all these voices, spiritual warfare of the enemy and our own flesh fighting against, again, who we are in Jesus Christ. Did not Paul talk about, again, that struggle? And at times he says, I do the thing that I hate because there's times he would give in to, again, that wisdom from the world, from below and so forth. So let's look at what godly wisdom, wisdom from above looks like. Wisdom from above, it's full of envy, self-seeking, boasting, lies against the truth. It's unstable. Every evil thing's found there. Confusion's found there. Practically, what are some attributes of wisdom from above? What's wise behavior? And for some of these things, listen, we're going to get some wisdom here today. Maybe there's going to be some areas the Lord shines a light into your life. And you say, boy, I got to take heed to this. He says again, wisdom from above, it's first pure. This is the key to this. And everything that comes after this, it's in the light of the word of God, the pure word of God. Wisdom from above, it's not to be perverted, diluted, polluted, nothing mixed into it. It's not compromised, altered, added to, or taken away from. And again, where does that wisdom come from? The person of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Yet Jesus warned in the last days there would be many false Christs. Now, these false Christs come along. They're not the Jesus of the Bible, and they are not bringing wisdom from above. And the Bible speaks in the last days, people shunning the word of God, heaping up teachers to do what? Tickle their ears, their senses. Tell me what my flesh wants to hear, not the truth of the Scripture. Polluting the word of God with man's opinion, with doctrines of demons. This is that church of Laodicea in Revelation 3.15 who most believe it's a picture of the end times church, the church of today. And listen to what the Lord said to him there in Revelation 3, 15. I know your works, that they are neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? We see a mixture here of hot and cold. Laodicea means man's opinion. And this is a picture of a church that takes God's word and man's opinion and mixes them together and they say, here's Christianity. Thinking we are so rich, we are so wealthy. We have nickels and noses everywhere. But the Lord says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And this is why, for the most part, the church, especially in the West, is so stinking inept today. Because so much of Christianity today is about appealing to the five senses of individuals. We got to put on a show on Sunday morning. We have the right smells, the right sounds. It needs to be dynamic. And once people start growing weary of that, we need to usher in the next big thing. So much of Christianity today. A lot of flash, but not a lot of substance. Mixing these things in. The Lord goes on to say, I'm on the outside, but I'm knocking. Let me in. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens that door, I will come and dine with him and he with me. And we need the Lord in the church today. We need more of the Lord in this church right here today. Do we knock? Do we say amen to that? 
but if we want to mix in our opinion, whether it's in the church or in our own lives. And we say, yes, I know that, listen, lusting in your heart as is the sin of adultery, but listen, I think it's okay to do a little peek here and there. That's okay, I'm only human, I'm a guy, so I'm going to bring that in. That's not wise. That's not acceptable before the Lord. That's not pure. And you may be thinking, you're benefiting from that, but again, our lives are taken away from that. It's first pure. There needs to be purity there. Listen, God hasn't called us to legalism. That's satanic. But he has called us to holiness. And holiness means without sin. It means I want to walk in what is upright. And I see so many provisions today in the church for sin. Well, I'm under grace, so I can just go sin and sin and sin. Because I'm under grace. Well, if you're truly under grace, again, you're not under the law. You're under grace, so you're forgiven. Boy, not all things are profitable. And listen, it's going to have an effect on others. We'll get to this here briefly. Secondly, it's peaceable. Jesus came to make peace on earth through his death and resurrection. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That peace comes to the gospel. Jesus' death and resurrection, calling upon him, putting our faith in him. And listen, we want to be at peace with him through faith in him, and then we're called to make peace with others. Absolutely. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. But hear this. That peace needs to be pursued and the purity of Scripture. And how many times do we want to be at peace with everyone and we do it at the sake of compromising truth? And this is why we look at the totality of Scripture. In Matthew 10, 34, Jesus said, Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Because there's times when we walk in the purity of God's Word, there's going to be certain people that don't want to be at peace with us. Now, we want to try to be at peace with them. But it's not at the compromise of the purity of Scripture. Because then we're not going to be practically at peace with God. And I'd rather be at peace with God and have a few people saying, I don't like you, than the opposite. Thirdly, it says that it's gentle. This means it doesn't deliberately cause strife. Again, neither does it compromise the truth. 2 Timothy 2.23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that it generates strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient and humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know this truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do so. Listen, no one gets argued into heaven. Forces of the flesh, gentleness shows faith in the Lord. It shows, listen, I'm going to share the truth and I'm going to put faith in the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to do what the Holy Spirit and the Word of God can do. And if you cause strife, you're going to reap strife. And strife is not good. Number four, it's willing to yield. This means it's willing to listen, to consider, to pray, and if wrong, repent, or to change one's mind again, but never willing to yield to that which is earthly, sensual, or demonic. 
If you are not teachable, you are not wise. We need to be able to receive the correction of the scriptures. We need to be willing to yield to the word of God. And listen, all of us outside of Christ have a stubborn nature, do we not? But listen to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is not wise if we are shunning the instruction of the word of God. It is not wise if every time we read the word of God, we look at it, critiquing it, looking why this is not wrong, why this is wrong, or that's not true. Again, God says, come, let's reason together. And we can bring our questions before the Lord, but at the end of the day, he is God and his word is true, and let God be true and every man a liar. Number four, it's full of mercy, which means wisdom is one that is controlled by mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and what do we deserve outside of Christ? We deserve hell. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for these shall obtain mercy. I want more mercy. Do you not want that? If you're thinking, well, I don't need mercy, I'm just kind of the standard, you are foolish. If you want to run around with a judgmental heart, the Bible says you will be judged. There's righteous judgments and unrighteous judgments. A righteous one, yes. I can judge fruit. I can judge doctrine. I need to start with my own. I can't judge another's heart. Only the Lord can do that. Jesus said again, blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. And now, again, this is not enabling sin. But it's lovingly ministering to those that we're seeing their shortcomings, either by praying for them and trying to minister to them, bearing with them, or it's in love going them and trying to correct them, having first examined our own heart before the Lord. Number six, it's full of good fruits. See, godly wisdom will never leave you empty, but it's going to produce an overflow of real living. Living in the Spirit of God, there's going to be abundance of fruit. I love Acts 9.36. There's a woman there named Tabitha. It's translated Dorcas. One of my daughters, we said, we almost named you Tabitha. It's translated Dorcas. Ah! <laughs> At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, what she did. And remember, they hold up, held up her tunics and the garments that she made. And she had passed away, and then the Lord resurrected her, you know, gave her life again. It was a miracle. Listen, if the fruit of the Spirit's not there, the works of the flesh are going to be there. We don't want to bury our talents. We want to be full of good fruits. Wisdom is being about the business of the Lord. It's being governed by the Word of God. Go read Galatians 5. It says, be led by the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. That means you're governed by the truth of the word of God. That's wise. Two more here, it's without partiality, or in other words, it has decisiveness. Without partiality means single-minded. It means it doesn't waver. It's not double-minded. It doesn't make this application of the scripture to this person, and that makes an exception for this other person. It stands in the truth. Listen, Jesus said about John the Baptist, he says, What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? John didn't waver by the person that was before him. 
the Pharisees came out and he says, listen, go show the fruits of repentance. Without partiality means I stand in the truth of the word of God, even if it looks like practically it will cost me. But how many times do we, again, bend like a reed in the wind to appease the person in front of us because we want their approval and we want their favor? It never works out well in the long run. And then finally, without hypocrisy, our wisdom from above is sincerity. It's love with truth. It's not fake. It's speaking the truth in love. Hypocrisy always eventually gets exposed. But you can't go wrong walking in truth. Five things real quickly, and then we'll close with our last verse. How do we get more of this wisdom? We've already touched on much of this. But if you're a list taker, I'll give you five things and five scriptures. Number one, knowing the person of Jesus Christ as our Savior and yielding to him daily. Listen to 2 Peter 1, 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. The more we know him, the more we know of him, the more we get to know him, the more all those things pertaining to life and godliness will be multiplied in our life. There's going to be more wisdom. You don't want to ignore Jesus. Don't ignore the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, listen. We need to get the more fear, more fear of the Lord in our hearts. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That means we hear the word of God and we believe it's true. We understand the urgency of the message this morning that what God is saying here is not suggestions. This is the truth of the word of God. And if I shun the word of God, there will be consequences. The fear of God means I have reverence for him and I have reverence for the scripture. And we need more of that because there's a lack of reverence. There's a lack of the fear of God in our world today. That's something we need to ask for. Thirdly, we need to simply ask. We need to pray. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, do any of us lack wisdom here this morning? Can we say amen to that? If you say, I, I don't lack wisdom, listen, then you lack more wisdom than anyone here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Again, if they were given away free gold, I hope you go line up and get some. We'll see in a second here that God's wisdom is more valuable. Make it part of your prayer life daily to ask God for wisdom, to pray for God's wisdom in the lives of your children. Did not Solomon as a young man, when God said, ask me anything and I'll give it to you, when he asked for wisdom, was not God tickled and pleased with that? He said, not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you riches and power and so forth. Do we fear him today? Do we believe him? If we fear the Lord, that means we believe what he says is true and we're going to say, yes, I I need wisdom, and so I want to ask for it. Number four, we need to seek it from the Word of God. We need to be in the Word daily. Listen to Proverbs 2, 1 through 7. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, 
If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who, who walk uprightly. Again, from his mouth, from the written word. You need to get in God's word. And then number five, wise counsel. Again, when we talk about wise counsel, we're talking about counsel from the word of God, from those that are not being partial, from those that will tell us what we don't want to hear at times. And absolutely, those trying to apply that counsel to their own life, but Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there's no counsel, the people fall but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now notice this last verse. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now what's righteousness? It's right standing with God. It's right living before God. And the only way you can have right standing with God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about sowing righteousness, we're talking about sowing the gospel. And we've been called to go sow the gospel, have we not? We've been told to go into all nations. To preach the gospel. To teach the things commanded to us by the Lord, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So first and foremost, the fruit of righteousness, it's presenting the gospel. Secondly, it's the witness of the believer. We need these things in our life. There needs to be a witness of the work of God in our lives. Listen, if we want to sow the gospel effectively. Notice what it says next. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. It's not sown in confusion. It's not sown in pride. It's not sown in lies and boasting or in envy, but it's sown in wisdom from above. It's sown when we contend, but we're not contentious, when we're gentle and respectful, when we're bold and we're firm without confusion. So the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And to make peace, again, we need to be at peace of God so others can come to peace with God. And if we have a heart full of envy, self-seeking, if we're boastful, if we lie against the truth, if we are led by the wisdom from below, sensual, earthly, and demonic, listen, we're going to sow something, but it won't be the righteousness of God. There's been an epidemic in the church for quite some time. A panic. Because studies and statistics have shown some up to 90% of children raised in the church, once they get out of their home, they deny their faith. You know, they say they go off to college and they believe, start believing in evolution. You know, they get out in the world and, you know, they want to start following doctrines of demons and philosophies of men and so forth. And they say, so we need to teach more of creationism and so forth. And there's a truth in that. Listen, if you're sending your kids to a youth group where it's, you know, what a five-minute chit-chat, fun and games, and they get up in a circle and they decide what the, the message really means, listen, you're setting them up for a failure. But I don't think that's the main problem. I think that's part of the problem, but that's not the main problem. 
Listen, the main problem is this. So much of the church today is inept because we are led by the wisdom of the enemy, the world, and our five senses. And so the seeds of righteousness are not being sown into our children. Because practically we're not walking we're at peace with God ourselves in our, day, in our lives, day in and day out. And so they're not seeing the real work of the Lord. They're seeing an aberration. And it is a turn off. When our children do not see a consistent walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, they already know. Romans 1 says they know there's a God. Listen, in that same town of Gilroy that I grew up in, where if it was left out, it got stolen. I remember them teaching us evolution in junior high and high school, and everyone made fun of it. Everybody did. They said, this is a stinking joke. My ancestors are not monkeys. They all did. This is ridiculous. And they went along, and they filled in the lines and so forth. They know. They know. So why do they abandon that? It's because righteousness is not being properly sown into their lives. It's why the church is so inept. And it's why we need to take heed from the word of God. And we need to step back and say, okay, who's influencing my life? Am I getting wisdom from above or am I walking in the wisdom of this world, wisdom that is demonic and wisdom of my flesh? Or is there a purity? Saying, I want to stand on the word of God. There's an urgency here, is there not? I, I would hope we won't take this lightly. Listen, this is a message I'm first and foremost preaching to myself. Because I have four children. I want to see walk and abound in the Lord all of their days. And I've seen the effect of, again, that sensual living. And making compromise with the word of God for whatever reason. I've been around just long enough again to see a few generations kind of develop and so forth. And see those proverbs and those truths lived out. And yes, there's exceptions to the rule. Praise God for his grace and his mercy. Without that, we have nothing. His intervention Boy, it starts with that. But this is serious here. And it might not be a big deal to us. You know what? The sowing of righteousness when we talk about the world around us, but does it not hit home when we talk about those that we love the most? Do you want to see your children spend eternity in hell once they become to the age of accountability? Do you not want to see them have faith in the Lord? Yes, we need to teach them the word of God. Yes, they need to know the book of Genesis. They need to know the word of truth, but they need to have righteousness sown into their lives. And if we're walking in wisdom from a below, we're not going to be able to sow that. From our lives. It's just not going to be there. Let's stand up and let's ask the Lord. Let's finish well this morning. Let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts for communion. The ushers will, they're going to pass that out here after we pray, and then we'll close with the last few worship songs, and you can partake 
as you're led, once you receive that. As we pass out the communion, let's, let's remember, we're to do this in remembrance of the Lord. Let's remember as we hold this bread, what it represents, the Lord's body broken for us. You know, we consider all this, all this rebellion, our own flesh, and how amazing that God would take on the form of man and come to say, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to make a way of salvation. I'm going to bear the wrath due you because you're condemned upon myself. As we hold this bread in our hands, let's remember that's what it represents, amen? And then I'm going to shed my blood for you. Life's in the blood so we can be covered by the perfect life of Jesus Christ. That we could go from being underneath the law that condemns us to being underneath the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and forgives us. We need to remember when we partake of these things that that's what they represent. We're to partake of them in remembrance of that. We are told that when we partake, we're to partake in a manner worthy of the call of Christ. So listen, if we're making provision for sin that Jesus died for, let's lay it down before him. Let's ask him for help where we need it. Let's be truthful with him. Can we say amen to that? So Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, you bless this communion to our bodies, Lord. We pray that we could finish strong here in worship of you. Now listen, if you're here, if you don't know the Lord, listen, communion is for followers of Jesus Christ. But the Bible makes it clear today's the day of salvation. And it says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And as you've heard the gospel today, the good news, which starts with bad news, we are sinners under condemnation. But the good news is that Jesus made the way of salvation. If you repent, which means you turn from your way, from what you're trusting in, from your own counsel, to put your faith in Jesus, to be the Lord of your life, to govern your life, to be your God, the Bible says you will be saved. Humble your heart and call on Him. He'll meet you where you're at. Lord, bless this communion and this time of worship. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Again, we're going to worship the Lord, and you can partake as you're led by the Lord once you receive that bread and cup.
Amen. Hey, the altar is going to be open up here if you'd like to get prayer. I encourage you to come up or pray with someone out there. God bless you. Pray you have a wonderful day and a wonderful new year in the Lord Jesus Christ.